I know you're waiting for the what is normal answer to your question. And I've given all the caveats. I, I think that there are some couples who are satisfied with sex, you know, maybe once a month or so. There are other couples whose normal is sex, you know, a few times a week. But I also think it's helpful to cite the research. And so I'm going I'm to do that. I'm going to give you that today and you can take notes. You're listening to Love and Libido with me, your host, Dr. Emily Jamia. The goal of this podcast is to educate and inspire. My hope is that you will learn tools to create connection and cultivate passion, both within yourself and in your relationships. Here's what's coming up on today's episode. Have you ever wondered how often most people have sex per month? What about how to start a threesome? Well, we are going to tackle that and more on today's Q&A episode. You guys submit such great questions, and I want to thank you for being so vulnerable. It's not always easy to put this stuff out there. We've got a really nice variety today. In addition to the how often should I be having sex question and how should I start a threesome question, I'm going to answer one new father's question about how to support his wife in rediscovering her libido since having a baby six months ago. But before we dive into these great questions, let me ask you a favor. Can you pause the episode and quickly go leave me a five-star review? Tell me what you like most about the show. Your reviews help build the show's popularity, which I need to keep it going. Go ahead. I'll be here when you finish. Okay. Without further ado, let's dive in. My wife and I have been together for 10 years now, married for two and a half years with a six-month-old newborn. We have not been intimate or sexual for that six-month period, and to be honest, it was not great prior to the pregnancy. I'll admit I've made my frustration known to her for the lack of sexual connection we've had. I get it. Her body is changing and healing from the delivery, but there has been nothing going on. Her problem has been that she's never in the mood and doesn't initiate sex. How can I help resolve this? I've tried asking what I can do to help around the house or with the baby. I've done sweet gestures like getting her a massage or buy flowers randomly because I know acts of kindness show her love. I guess the final straw for me was that it was my birthday and I was thinking of all the days I should at least be getting oral, but nothing. What do I do? Okay, my friend, lots to talk about with this one. The first thing I want to tell you is that just because she may be physically ready doesn't mean that she's emotionally ready. I honestly hate when doctors slap around that six weeks and you're good to go um, prediction because that really doesn't fit for a lot of women. Some people feel like they are ready to go before that. Others need a lot more time. Um, as you mentioned, the body does go through a lot. It's had nine, really 10 months of carrying a baby. And then there's the whole delivery process. And then there's the aftershock. You know, you hear about the first, second, and third trimester, but another um, component that is finally getting a bit more attention is something we refer to as the fourth trimester, which can last for a while. Um, having a baby is hands down one of the biggest life adjustments that people go through. There is the, you know, physical exhaustion and recovery. There is lack of sleep. Um, and then there's just the emotional component. You are literally taking care of a helpless child, a helpless human. And that can feel like a lot for some people. I don't know if she has gone back to work, but especially for new moms who are juggling 
returning to work and caring for a newborn, they can feel just completely depleted. And so you can send her flowers every single day and give her massages every single day. And frankly, it might not be enough just because of where she is with everything. So I just want to reiterate that again, that just because she's physically ready doesn't mean she's emotionally ready. I really encourage you to talk to her about where she is emotionally. It's always important to kind of be an advocate and help her assess whether they may, there may be anything going on like postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety, which is a little bit less talked about. Um, we need to know kind of where she is emotionally. Also, there's the sleep. Um, you know, I always go back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If you're not familiar with it, you can Google it. You can see some great images out there. Um, but basically, it's that we can't get our higher order needs met until we get our more basic needs met. And one of our most basic needs is a need for sleep. And I can tell you from experience that a lot of six-month-olds are not sleeping through the night yet. And so if she is still having to wake up a few times throughout the night to give the baby a bottle or to nurse, she's probably really tired during the day. And when we are exhausted, a lot of times connection, social connection, and especially sex is something that's just not even on our radar. So that's something to think about too. And there are also a lot of hormonal changes at play after having a baby, especially for women who are nursing. So when we're nursing, our oxytocin levels are already really high. Typically when we're not nursing, our oxytocin levels are at a more baseline and they actually go up after we have an orgasm. For women who are nursing, those oxytocin levels are already pretty high so they can feel kind of saturated. And so that desire to seek out that oxytocin boost may not be there. Also estrogen levels are low. So when estrogen is low, it can cause vaginal dryness, which may lead to some discomfort sexually, or she may not feel like she's really getting that aroused or turned on because her estrogen levels are already low from nursing. And so in these cases, you always want to go for some personal lubricant or something like that to help. Prolactin is high during nursing. So if we break down that word prolactin, prolactation, it's a hormone that both men and women have. For men who have low desire, a lot of times doctors will look at their prolactin levels to see if they're too high because high prolactin levels usually mean low desire. So nursing is wonderful, but unfortunately the Hormones that are at play during nursing are kind of anti-sex. And that's probably nature's way of saying, hey, you've got more important things to worry about right now, like nurturing this new human, probably not a good time to go and get pregnant, which is why a lot of women don't even get their periods back until they stop nursing. Of course, some do. And so you always still need to practice safe sex if you don't want to get pregnant right away. So anyway, there is the emotional component. There is the hormonal component. So those two things I think are really important to keep in mind because those do not, for a lot of women, mellow out for a longer period of time. So it's not just that six week number. It can take a year or longer really for the body to get back to normal. Here's my second piece of advice. Don't ask what she needs help with. Instead, assess the situation and just do it. I want to talk to you a little bit about something called the mental load, which is what a lot of women struggle with. It's sort of that 
kind of household management stuff that tends to get placed on the female partner's shoulders for heterosexual couples. So this is like making sure the toothpaste is replenished and making sure there are dryer sheets when you're running low, making sure you, you know, it's not just cooking the dinners. It's like planning the meals. It's kind of all that like managerial stuff that goes into running a household. And a lot of times we don't even realize that that is placed on a woman's shoulders. And so while it's, it's nice and considerate that you're asking what needs to be done, because frankly, that's more than a lot of people do. What I would encourage you to do is just look around you and go ahead and swoop in and just do it. I can tell you that when my partner does things without me having to ask him, it goes a lot further in my book than when I have to ask him or tell him what he should be doing. And so I think especially when she's preoccupied with taking care of the new baby, you can just look around and you know, don't ask her what she wants to eat for dinner. Don't ask her if you can go to the grocery store, just plan the meal, just do it. Just take that initiative. That will go a lot farther for her. And frankly, it's a good pattern to go ahead and get into now, because if you wait and you guys slip into the typical pattern, which is where all of this stuff becomes her responsibility that can create a lot of overwhelm for women. And so the more you can take on and free her up, the better. Okay, next point. You do the sweet gestures, and that goes a long way, buying the flowers and giving her massages. But we know from the research that removing the turn-offs is more important than doing the things that you think will turn her on. So what I'm referencing is something called the dual control model. It may seem pretty obvious, but we have things that turn us on sexually, and then we have things that turn us off sexually. So typical turn-ons are, you know, the things you're doing, buying her flowers, giving her a massage, which is helping release tension from her body, just having a good emotional connection with her. That can go a long way. However, if there is a diaper genie that needs to be replaced, if there is bottles that need to be warmed up or milk that needs to be stored in the freezer or laundry that needs to be folded, all of those things can be a huge distraction. And so you could do all of the right things in the turn on category, but if there's a lot of stuff still at play in the turn off category, the turn ons are not going to have that much pull. So what I encourage people to do is have the conversation, you know, what, what is it that may be preventing you from feeling the desire to have sex or at least being open to getting in the mood and then focus more on removing those barriers than you are on trying to do the sweet gestures. You can still do the sweet gestures every now and then because it's brownie points. And I think it's really nice. And I wouldn't say stop those things, but you got to do a little bit more, especially in this season of life. Couples marital dissatisfaction goes down significantly in the years after they have a baby. I think the research says something like it goes down by 75%. Like it's, it's a lot. So when you are right in the thick of it, you can feel so disconnected, so depleted, so exhausted. You feel like you don't have time for each other, let alone yourself. There's just a lot going on. And I'm not saying that forever she's going to be one of those people that needs to have every star in alignment in order to get in the mood sexually. I, in fact, I discourage that. And I work with a lot of people to 
be a bit more flexible. But for now, I think it's really important to think about what you may or may not be doing that is removing those barriers for her. Okay, let me keep going through your questions. So you said that one of the final straws was that it was your birthday and you were thinking of all the days I should at least get oral. Well, my friend, the way you're thinking about this, that you're entitled to oral sex since it's your birthday is going to be a big turnoff. Look, I get it. You want something special on your birthday, but anything that makes her feel like sex is something she's doing out of obligation or about your pleasure over her pleasure is probably going to be a turnoff. It would be one thing if you guys had a pretty solid foundation in terms of your sexual connection right now. And let's say she doesn't typically give you a blowjob if it's your birthday and that's something that really goes a long way for you and you really like, you know, that's one thing if she obliges. Um, you know, I, I do think that sometimes we do things that we don't necessarily like and, you know, as long as it goes both ways. However, if she is as a six-month-old baby who is She's probably feeling touched out right now too. I'll tell you, I, I should have said that a little bit earlier. A lot of women just frankly feel touched out at the end of the day because they are carrying around this tiny human all the time who is completely attached to them. And so a lot of times they don't want anyone else to touch them, let alone have to provide touch for someone else because that's what they're doing all day long with a new baby. And so, yeah, I wouldn't ever really think of sex or specific sex acts as something she should be doing or that you're entitled to just because it's a special day, like a holiday or your birthday, especially right now when you guys are already kind of disconnected and she has a six month old, just not the right way to go about it. So I don't know if you said anything to her along the lines of, Hey, it's my birthday. I'd really love a blow job. Um, or I should, at, you should at least be giving me a blow job, but that way of thinking about sex is not going to get you very far. I think what you really need to focus on right now is just about reconnecting both sexually and emotionally. Now you said, I'm going to keep going. You said that things were not that strong even before you had a baby. And that's really where you need to start. You two need to sit down and talk about what was going on that led to some sexual disconnect before she even got pregnant or had the baby? Um, you know, is there any relationship conflict? Is Are you just kind of stuck in the monotony of life? You said you've been together 10 years. Sometimes couples, people get a little bit complacent in their relationship and stop doing the things that promote sexual desire, um, both for themselves and for their partner. Um, you know, I don't know if there's significant work stress or lack of support. There's all kinds of things that can influence sexual desire. And so really what I would do is sit down with her and say, Hey, obviously I think we need to get back our sexual connection, but truthfully, we were starting to get disconnected even before we had the baby. What do you think was going on that, led to some of the disconnect. And you can even say, and you can cite me here, that maintaining a strong sexual connection is pretty important for long-term relationship satisfaction. And so you guys need to talk about what you need to do to rediscover that connection, knowing that right now in this season of life, you're probably going to have to make some modifications, lower expectations a bit, and kind of ride it out. Although I will say, Try to see what she does feel good about and what she's open to for now. 
Okay. I hope that helps. I want to thank you again for submitting your question because I know it's something that a lot of people will relate to. And now a quick break for a word from our sponsors. Is emotional and physical intimacy a challenge in your relationship? Do you long for the feeling you had in the honeymoon phase? You're not alone. I've created a tried and true method for reinvigorating your relationship. My private online workshop takes an innovative yet scientifically based approach to teaching you the tools to cultivate passion and create connection that lasts. Visit emilyjamia.com slash workshop for your free trial. I am so confident that you'll have a positive outcome that I've created a 100% money back guarantee. You really have nothing to lose. And if that's not reason enough, subscribers to my podcast get 50% off. Subscribe to the show and use code half off at checkout. Offer expires at the end of the week. Visit emilyjamia.com slash workshop today. And now back to the episode. Okay, next question. Hey, Emily, your advice has helped me a lot in talking with my wife about being a better communicator. I had a question though. What is a healthy amount of time per month to have sex? My drive is a little higher than my wife's, but I'm not sure how to open up about it. Well, first of all, I am so glad that my advice so far has helped you be a better communicator because I will tell you one of the best things you can do to maintain a strong sexual connection is to be a good communicator. Pretty foundational skill. Unfortunately, something not a lot of people are very good about. And you even say in your question that you you notice that your drive's a little bit higher than your wife's and you're not sure how to open up about it, how to communicate about it. So I'm glad I've helped you, but let me help you a little bit more. Okay, so first of all, there is no magic number that's healthy for every couple. What I like about what you said is that your drive is a little bit higher. So I want to tell you that most relationships have a higher desire and a lower desire partner. We refer to this as having a discrepancy in sexual desire, and this is normal. Rarely do we partner up with someone with whom we match up 100%. That's just not typically the case for most couples. Now, Couples run into trouble when the discrepancy in, is really high. Like if one person wants to have sex all the time and the other person's good with like once or twice a month, that can cause some problems. But most relationships are going to have one partner that's a little bit higher than the other, which is what you said. You said your drive is a little bit higher. And so you want to think about what you can do to manage the difference. If it's only a little difference, and, and I still think you should talk to your wife about it just so that she kind of knows where you stand and you can understand her feelings about it and you can express your feelings about it. But you can also manage the difference yourself. You could masturbate. You could maybe increase the amount of time you're spending cuddling or doing things like taking a shower together, things that aren't necessarily including intercourse, but still make you feel connected. Those sorts of things can help manage the difference a little bit. Or if sometimes it is just like, oh, I just got to experience that release, but she's not interested. Again, that's where self-pleasure comes into play. And so there are plenty of things that you can do for yourself or with her that maybe don't include intercourse that can still, that will help you manage the difference a little bit. The other thing I want to say is, that you want to try to pay closer attention to the quality of the sex you're having over the quantity of sex you're having. Really, at the end of the day, pleasure and connection is more important. And so I think a really good place to start the conversation is to say, you know, what is it that you like about the sex we have? 
is there anything I can do or what can I do to help you experience greater pleasure and satisfaction? Because frankly, sometimes people don't desire sex because the sex isn't very desirable. And I doubt that that's the case for you. However, people like things that feel good. We are motivated to seek out things that are pleasurable to us. And so the more you can do to make the sex pleasurable for her, chances are the more she's going to want to do it. So rather than trying to talk her into wanting to have sex more often, talk to her about what you can do to enhance the sex that you're having, because probably a nice byproduct of that will be that she will want to have sex a little bit more often. Also, a lot of people are guilty of pathologizing the lower desire partner. Again, there's a higher desire partner and a lower desire partner. And a lot of times we think that the solution is for the lower desire partner to come up to the higher desire partner's level. And that is not the way I like to conceptualize these cases. I always like to look at what factors are at play that are contributing to lower desire and what factors are at play that are contributing to higher desire. So sometimes people seek out sex because it helps them fall asleep at night or relieve stress or you know, in addition to the things like connection and pleasure that we've discussed. And while those in and of themselves are not bad motivations to have sex, like if having an orgasm helps you relax at night, that's fine. However, you don't want there to only be one tool in your toolbox for everything. So like, I see a lot of people who have high sexual desire because sex is like the only thing that helps them relieve stress. And so what I do is talk to them about other ways that they can manage their stress so that it's not all focused on their partner. Cause that can feel like kind of a burden for the other partner to carry. I don't know if that's the case for you, but I do think it's worth mentioning. The other thing I want to say is that Frequency is going to ebb and flow over the course of a long-term relationship. So people get kind of hung up on the number and they feel like if maybe there is a month or two where they haven't had much sex, they kind of start to panic. But when you're with the same person for a long period of time, it's unusual to maintain the exact same frequency for the entirety of your relationship. So you need to know that just due to life factors, whether it's kids or like the last question I just talked about was rediscovering sex after having a baby. Like those times are times in life when sex is probably going to drop down a little bit lower on the totem pole. When there's like a huge work project you're focusing on, if someone becomes ill, if you go through a major life adjustment, like losing a job or moving, like all of those can be reasons why frequency of sex may go down. And so I caution people against losing sight of the bigger picture. Um, it now, if sex frequency goes down and it's been down for like six to 12 months and you're not, you're also feeling emotionally disconnected or you're noticing like an uptick in the fights or conflict that you're experiencing at that point. Yes. You want to take notice of it, but try not to judge the quality of your sex just on a month to month basis, because that's frankly too narrow. I think of a window to get an accurate assessment. Now I know you're waiting for the, what is normal answer to your question. And I've given all the caveats. I, I think that there are some couples who are satisfied with sex, you know, maybe once a month or so. There are other couples whose normal is sex, you know, a few times a week. But I also think it's helpful to cite the research. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. I'm going to give you that today and you can take notes. 
So there was a study that took a U.S. sample of over 5,000 adults, and it broke them up by age groups. So we have people between the ages of 18 to 24, people the ages of 25 to 29, 30 to 39, 40 to 49, 50 to 59, and 60 to 69, and people who are over the age of 70. And it looked at the frequency of penile vaginal intercourse reported by the women in those relationships and compared that to the frequency of penile vaginal intercourse reported by the men in that sample. Perhaps not surprisingly, men reported a little bit greater frequency of intercourse, but the numbers weren't too far off. And basically what these studies show is that people between the ages of 18 to 24 for example, the majority of them say that they have sex, and that's about 45% of them say that they have sex two to three times a week. And that's what the men said. The women said they have sex. 35% of them said that they have sex two to three times a week. But if we kind of bump up, I mean, I'm just going to jump to the demographic of my listeners, which is between the ages of 30 to 49. About half of the people in the sample said that they have sex a few times per month to about once a week. The other 50% was split to a few times per year to monthly. And about 25% said that they have sex two to three times per week on average. So the short of that is the majority of people have sex a few times per month to weekly. And what we know from other studies is that when we take people who have sex with that frequency a few times per month to about once a week and tell them to have sex two to three times per week, we actually find that their sexual satisfaction goes down because now sex feels like something they have to do. And frankly, there are other things we have to do with our time than have sex. Look, I'm a sex therapist. I think sex is great. I promote sexual connection and pleasure and all of the things. However, there are other things that, you know, people like to spend their time doing. And so I think, you know, for a lot of couples, sex a few times per month to about once a week is normal and healthy, and there are going to be a million variations to that. And ultimately, you and your partner have to find out what is going to be the most normal and healthy for you. So I hope that helps. Okay, last question. Hi, Emily. My boyfriend and I have been chatting about being more adventurous in the bedroom and potentially start experimenting with a third person. Now me, someone who has never been with a woman, didn't know where the heck to start, but I'm definitely interested in it. Do you have any resources you can recommend? Like how does one even go about asking another woman to join? It's all so confusing to me and I definitely don't want to come off as a creep. Any advice is helpful. Thank you. Okay. I love this question. Um, there are so many nuances to menage a trois. Now I caution people about inviting a friend. The benefit of inviting a friend is that the trust is already there, but it can change the dynamics of the friendship once you add sex. Um, so it's not always my first line of recommendation. It may seem like the easier, safer choice, but it can come with its own risks. And so sometimes it's better to find someone who is not really in your social circle at all. What I tell people to do is go check out one of the many dating apps that focus on casual hookups. There are a ton out there. And frankly, a Google search can probably tell you better than I can, like what's a good one right now, um, because there are a lot and they, I think they probably change pretty frequently, but 
I would go on a dating app and make a profile and through there, you can, you know, right away, see people who are interested in the kind of thing that you're wanting to do. So that totally takes the creep factor out of it because everyone is there for the same reasons. Now you want to talk at length about the boundaries and limitations with your boyfriend ahead of time, and also make sure that the third person is on the same page. You don't have to like water the whole thing down with like long conversations, but generally you, everyone who's playing needs to have a good sense of what the rules are. And then finally start slow. So there is no reason why you have to jump into the deep end. So for example, maybe you go to a club together first and you can kind of see how it feels to dance together, assess your feelings as you watch your boyfriend dance closely with another woman and, and kind of assess like, is this something I'm starting to feel jealous about? Is it raising insecurities in me? If so, probably taking it further than that is going to make things worse. But let's say it doesn't, then maybe you take turns kissing in a dimly lit corner and then don't take it any further than that the first time. You can kind of see if there's even chemistry there to begin with and then sleep on it and talk about your feelings the next day. And then if you want to take things further, whether with this person or with someone else, you can. I think a lot of people have this picture of a menage a trois as like three people just jumping into bed together and they have this expectation that it's going to play out in the movies. Like everyone's having a great time and no lines get crossed, no boundaries get crossed, no jealousy comes up, no feelings get hurt. And while that sounds great, that's not always the way it plays out. And so I think the best way to avoid a scenario where there is jealousy or a line getting crossed or feelings getting hurt or relationship dynamics changing drastically is to take things slow. Again, you don't have to jump into bed together on the first date. You can spend some time getting to know each other. You can go out dancing. You can just make out and then just kind of see how you feel and assess at that point whether or not you want to take things to the next level. So that's what I always advise. Okay, so I hope that helps. I want to thank you all for submitting such great questions today. I love reading through the Q&As and it's so hard to pick what goes on an episode, but keep them coming. I know from the feedback I get that your questions help a lot of other people. And I just want to remind you again to please go leave me a five-star review. Your feedback and reviews really help the show's popularity. Tell me what you liked about the show. Tell me what was your favorite episode. Tell me how much you love the Q&As or how much you love when I interview other people. You know, your feedback gets other people interested. Go share it with a friend who might find the show entertaining or helpful or informative. That's what I am here for. So thank you all for tuning in and I look forward to connecting next time. Thanks again for listening to Love and Libido with me, your host, Dr. Emily Jamia. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe and drop me a five-star review. Share with a friend who might find it interesting. As much as we can learn from experts, nothing makes us feel more connected than hearing from each other. If you have a story that relates to today's episode or just a general question about sex or your relationship, visit loveandlibido.com and I'll share it on an upcoming episode. Be sure to visit my website, emilyjamia.com to see my latest blogs and to check out my online workshop. Subscribers to my podcast can use code half off. Finally, you can follow me across all the social media channels for daily sex and relationship tips at Dr. Emily Jamia. Thank you so much for tuning in.